This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey everyone, June here. I just want to let you know that the episode of the XX Gabfest that you're about to hear was actually a live episode that we recorded on Thursday, June 22nd at the Bell House in Brooklyn. I'm telling you this because you're going to hear Hannah saying that we're going to be taking questions from the audience. Well, we did, but our answers will be the Slate Plus segment. So if you're a Slate Plus member, you'll hear all our fascinating responses to the audience questions. If you're not and you're super, super curious, you can go over to our show page at slate.com slash XX and find a link to join today. Welcome to the Double X Gab Fest for Thursday, June 29th, live from Brooklyn show. I'm Hannah Rosen, a host of NPR's Invisibilia. I'm joined on stage to my left by Noreen Malone of New York Magazine. Hi, Noreen. Hi, Hannah. (laughs) And June Thomas, who's a managing producer of Slate Podcast. Hi, June. Hello, Hannah. It's weird that we're all in the same room, isn't it? I know, it's really exciting, actually. I like being in the same room with you guys. It's so much more fun. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Do you guys think we're in the same room usually for those regular listeners of the show? <laughs> that means we're hiding it well. Yes, we, should, we should video chat more. It's or true. Ever. We're yeah. actually 300 miles away from each other. Yeah. I could be naked. I'm just by myself in a studio <laughs> booth. You guys have at least We could be together. naked. You don't know what our... <laughs> That's true. You know? That's true. That's true. I'm usually not naked though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> usually. June's always just wearing me undies. That's right. <laughs> That's a picture. (laughs) Is it like the polka dot ones? (laughs) So many, so many styles. All right, so let's get started with our show today. Uh, To begin with, we have a special guest, Jenna Lyons, who is creative director of J. Crew, an all-around fashion icon. We're not going to introduce her yet. Our second topic, the Cosby trial and what it means for victims of sexual assault. (laughs) That's the Voldemort moment. And third, will we ever have a woman president and what gets in the way? 
All right. I'm loving the reactions. They're ready for this. I know. Can you all come every other Wednesday to the studio? (laughs) You can just crowd into the studios. It makes it much more fun. Okay. Well, so let us right now introduce Jenna Lyons, who is the creative director and president of J. Crew, fashion icon, did a stint on girls, and is one of the most crushed on women in America. Welcome, Jenna. Thank you. Hi. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a confession for you on your behalf that you recently had dental surgery. I did. I did. So she's I half did. with us and half in the ether. This side looks like I've had Botox, and this side does not. <laughs> but that'll work. It's good enough for the double X gab fest. Half of you is good enough. Um, okay, so I am gonna jump in. Actually, do we look all right? Yeah. That's great. Do we look okay? Yeah. You look fantastic. Morphine is really making you look good. <laughs> it's good? Okay. That's because it's dark and you can't really see us. <laughs> yes. um, all right. So here's the first thing I've been wondering about. J. Crew. you all know that Michelle Obama was a huge J. Crew fan. That's largely thanks to Jenna, family. I would say. Like, she, you two had a groove and style. <laughs> I'd like to say that I had a groove with Michelle Obama. Yes, that sounds good. <laughs> Or she loved you. I don't know how it worked, but she was definitely into the look that you created. Um, and, and, and we currently, I know you're not at J. Crew anymore, but we do currently have a first lady and a first daughter who are very into style. And yet it's not like... <laughs> For people we're not seeing huge amounts of love from the fashion industry. So I'm actually, I just actually wonder like, how that works. It's, it's actually a genuine dilemma. Like when you have... There's a sort of political disconnect, but there's a fashion connect. There's no dilemma. <laughs> what do you want to know? Just, is the fashion world allowed to do that? Like, somebody has to give Melania her big gold belts. Like, what happens when you've got this Oh, my God, I can't believe we're starting gap. here. I mean, listen, I, I think that... Um, one of the things that I loved about working with Michelle Obama was the connection felt incredibly real. Um, I know that she loved the clothes, and the way that we knew that she loved the clothes was that it felt very genuine. We know how she, you know, she bought them online late at night. It wasn't like she was coming to us directly, especially in the beginning when she was just on the campaign trail. Really? She yes. just ordered online? Literally <laughs> ordered online. That's awesome. She's very savvy, that woman. Um, and so, you know, I think that, especially for a designer, that is important. I think most designers want it to feel natural, and you want to believe that the person who's wearing your clothes loves them and wants to be in them. And so I think that that part of it felt incredible. Um, you know, so I think that that's important for Melania and Ivanka, too. <laughs> I mean, it's important for them to order their own clothes online. Exactly. Exactly. Check out. <laughs> All right. So I have a question that I'm hoping can be your like Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada moment. I want to. I want to know why every woman in America only has the option of wearing off-the-shoulder ruffle tops this summer. I, uh. I chose that option tonight. <laughs> I, I, listen, I don't know what happens. I think there's some unusual like force behind people actually wanting to wear the same thing all the time, which I don't totally understand because last I checked, step, like standing out was a little bit more interesting. I'm not really sure. This sort of collective, you know, let me wear the same thing as everybody else. I've never really understood that. Um, so it, it's, you know, it is a choice. You do have a choice. There mm-hmm. are other stores that don't carry them. <laughs> you could show other things like me. 
I don't know. I mean, I, I've never really understood why that happens. Um, at the same time, I do think there's a flock mentality, particularly now where social media sort of is actually encouraging you to be like others, and they're sort of you know falling in line in the pack, and so you you, you get into your groove of who your people are, so to speak. And I guess if your people have shoulders that want to be shown, <laughs> that's where you go. I don't know. But Clearly, when you were at J. Crew, didn't you want everyone to wear the same thing as long as it was your thing? No, actually, no, not at all. I think you know, and and that's one of the things that I think was important to me and was always important to us is. And being yourself and being an individual is far more interesting, and it ultimately means you're going to buy more clothes because the way I wear J. Crew is different. The way you wear J. Crew is different. The way you wear you wear it, and my mother wears it, and that to me is more interesting, and it certainly has more depth to it. So, no, it wasn't. We weren't looking for that. Do we want to make sure that we knew what the thing was that was of the moment? Sure. And did we miss it sometimes? Fuck yeah. <laughs> So the thing that you were known for, which I think everyone admires you for, is, you know, turning, going from sort of faceless behind the scene brand to like, like, like making a sort of blank company into kind of an individual bespoke particular situation, exactly what you just described. Was that weird for you to sort of become the face? Like you're behind the scenes, you're like running the other side of it and suddenly it's like... Yeah. You're the face of it. I think the hardest part becomes not so much in the exterior life, it becomes more difficult in the interior world of a company where, you know, you could be standing on a red carpet and standing next to someone you've admired, you know, I mean, I stood next to Meryl Streep on the red carpet and touched her. And <laughs> it was amazing, but then the next day I was going into the office and I'm having a conversation with someone who is a junior merchant who just started yesterday and I have to remember that they're sort of having the same moment. They know that I'm having those experiences, but I need to just be myself and I need to make them feel comfortable and I can't um, become that person that I am outside. And so that, I found, was the most difficult part, was calibrating my internal work life and my external life. And, you know, and again, particularly, like, the social media thing is, it's the reason I don't post any pictures and I don't, um, I have an Instagram account with 6,000 followers and I haven't posted a single picture. <laughs> that was really like, like a humble brag, I think. I, it's really, it's the strangest thing. But I think that it became, the line of my life became really hard to draw. It was hard to understand. You know, you'd meet someone and I'd want to remind myself of the moment and I'd want to take a picture, but then I was like, oh, but I don't want them to think I'm posting it. And then I didn't want my personal Instagram to become about the famous people I'd met, but I wanted to... It, and so I just, just, I just chose not to do any of it um, because it felt important for me to have some privacy in my life, but also have privacy for the people that I met and keep it separate from the office. Yeah, I think the weirdest moment in your personal life, which many people probably out there know, is the pink toenails of oh your my son. God. Well, and go. that became such a big deal with like no help from you. It like became a Fox News segment. I it, mean, was, it was just like a yeah. little... Well, should picture. we explain a little for yeah, people? So let's explain. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing. I mean, it was literally a photograph, right? Of, like, yeah, you. I can... If anybody doesn't know, I'm sure there are people that don't. I, um, when my son was four years old, I was painting my toenails and he came into the kitchen and was like... I want that too. You know, they went from being, you know, nude to hot, hot pink. And it was the middle of the summer. And so, of course, I painted them. And uh, one, someone from the office had asked if I would just document my Saturday. And we were just doing like a Saturdays with Jenna thing. And so um, my husband at the time took a photograph of me holding up his toes like look and I in the comments I'd written luckily for me my son's favorite color is pink which it was at the time and the reason I was saying that was not because I wanted to turn him transgender fluid um, however it was all I had I was you know I was saying luckily because that's what was in my medicine cabinet I didn't have blue um, and not that he would have wanted blue because mine were pink and so it really um, it sparked some sort of an interesting I mean, unbelievable outrage that led to uh, Fox News picking up on the story. I mean, news. It, this is not news. Fox, 
I'm sorry, news, news, real news, fake news, real news, some sort of news channel. And we, all of a sudden, we're on TV, and there was a picture of me and my son on television talking about, you know, the fact that I had, was trying to influence him to become, I don't know, gay. Um, and so I would just I ironic. Think that works. Like, that was I before I was polish. actually gay. But that's okay. Um, so um, at any rate, on top of that. Um, Interesting enough, John Stewart picked it up, and he did an amazing story of called Tomageddon. Yes, know if you that heard about was really good. Which was brilliant. To this day, if you Google Tomageddon, it's the funniest thing. You have to watch it. And and a man wrote a book called My Purple Toenails, and it was literally he said that he had had a similar experience. And in support of our story, he had done he painted his toenails and his son toenails purple, and wrote a book about it and sent it to me. I was like, wow. <laughs> Saturdays with Jenna are really epic. So many toenails. Um, you mentioned just then that you are gay. Um, the fashion world it has at least a reputation of being like totally comfortable for gay men. Yeah. You don't hear so much about lesbians in that world. Is it a comfortable place for gay women too, for I queer mean, women? You know, I think, um, well, there's two, listen, I, I, I know we can all admit it, there's sort of two camps of gay women in this world. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but interestingly enough, um, you know, so what I can say is there's two things. I was f- super fortunate. I think that had, um, had that situation happened to me 10 years ago, I think it would have been very different. Um, I was really well supported by everyone in my office. Uh, you know, I did, there were a few awkward moments where, you know, in a meeting where I'm brushing up against someone, I'm like, oh, like, sorry, I just touched your boob. Like, you know, and not, and it all of a sudden became something different. Um, and I had to really, um, and I had to really think about that. But at the fact of the matter is, I was really well supported and never, ever, I've, you know, I feel really incredibly lucky. I know a lot of people haven't had that experience. They've been ostracized or made to feel like it's not okay. And I never did feel that. That being said, also, you know, if you look around, there's a lot of models now are coming out. It's a huge wave and a trend that I started. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Well, and, um, why do you think it is? Uh, well, interestingly enough, I mean, the model thing, I think it's, it, truthfully, I think it's become I, almost, like, sexy. I think it's sort of taken on, the, and I'm not saying that they're, the models are becoming gay because it's sexy. Don't get me wrong. I, all I'm saying is I think it's becoming more acceptable, and I think prior, you would have, it would have made it feel like, oh, a girl, you know, well, I'm not going to become a Victoria's Secret angel if I'm doing stuff with a girl and her thing so let's maybe you know stay away from that and I think that's changed and I think now it's actually become more acceptable from that perspective um but separately you know interesting enough when I look at the office now when I when I as I left J. Crew, there was probably I can name off the top of my head at least 15 women who were openly out and gay and there wasn't a single one in the office before so I do think you know as fortunate as I was and as supported as I was, I realized it was important and meaningful to the people in, that were coming into the company, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk a, a little bit about your stint on Girls, which we would like to fire up just a minute of that. Oh um, can you just, just say, as we're firing it up, how that came about? Because it's cool. Sure. Um, so I, don't, I was... Uh, Years ago, I was nominated for um, Glamour Woman of the Year, and it was the same year that Lena Dunham was. And there was a party afterwards, and I somehow decided that it was appropriate to walk up to her and kiss her and then stick my tongue in her ear, which she actually was okay with. And uh, we started a friendship, and uh, that friendship <laughs> led to a uh, text exchange over time. And uh, 
I was in Barcelona getting ready to go to Primavera Sound. I was boarding a, well, I was on my way to Barcelona boarding a plane from London, actually. And uh, I get a text from her saying, listen, I'm trying to cast someone and I'm giving the casting director you as an, as an idea and an image and we're having a really hard time. Would you play someone like yourself? And uh, I actually just said yes. I didn't ask how, I didn't ask anything. I didn't, for, I didn't ask how much I was getting paid, by the way, which is a big mistake. But... Um, <laughs> But anyway, um, it was, you know, one of those things where I didn't ask how many lines, I didn't ask how many episodes, I didn't ask what I was going to be doing, I didn't ask anything about my character, and she didn't ask me if I'd ever acted before. So we both got what we were looking for. Um, anyway, <laughs> it was really fun, and it was um, my first time acting, and it was an amazing experience. She was incredible to be on set with, her whole team was great. It was definitely one of the highlights of my life. And the best part is, like, I will be in Japan, and I'll be like, oh, I do Girls, girls. <laughs> that's the funniest thing ever. And that's just from Shosh. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Hello. I see you've met Hannah. And you've met the team. Yep. And I see you found the snack room as well. Oh, yeah. These are not just for me. Great. All right. So, reiterating once again, the field guide for the urban male. We need eight types. Mm-hmm. Something like you'd find in a bird watcher's manual. But funny, not corny funny, smart. Client doesn't want a bunch of sarcastic bullshit. I also want you to be thinking about the corresponding looks that Neiman Marcus could roll out to store windows and catalogs. So far, we have the Millennial Man's Man, Mr. Midnight, and the Gowanus Yachtsman. So, let's see what else you guys have. Hannah. Okay, I haven't come up with a name for this yet, but it's like, he's a dad. But he's not trying to be like the coolest dad. But he's also like embracing vintage Bill Cosby-ish dadness, so that actually inherently makes him cool. What would you call it? Classic dad. Or um, dad classic. That's good. Or if you want to be a little sassy, cool dad, cool spelled K-E-W-L. <laughs> cool dad. Cool dad. <laughs> yeah, that's a type worth considering. Anyone else? Woo! Oh, God. I haven't watched that in a while. Is that what you're actually like at the office? No, not at all. I'm a boob. No, I'm a big ham. No. Hannah, it you was hard. Could, you just couldn't come to Brooklyn without making us talk about girls in some, like, <laughs> in some way. Form. I just had to do it. We are in Brooklyn. Yeah, we are in Brooklyn, so I'm allowed to do it. Um, all right, well, uh, do you guys have any more questions? Jenna, I just want to know, is it true that you have to suffer for beauty, to look beautiful? Do you have to suffer for fashion? Suffer? Suffer, 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 suffer. (laughs) No, not at all. I mean, not at all. I'm wearing flats to shoot. You guys are suffering more than I am. You look hot. I'm very comfortable. Um, All right. So, a last thing. What's interesting to you in the fashion world now? Like, what things are happening for those of us who don't know that much about fashion, don't follow it the way you do? Like, what is what, it, what are interesting things happening or interesting people? I mean, I think the thing that's happening right now is there's such a massive shift. Um, you know, it's, I've never seen anything like this, actually. Um, there's a dramatic shift away from... You know, there's this, this nature of speed that has become so important and everyone wants to be have everything yesterday. And I think... I really hope that shifts back. I'm, I'm, it's interesting, but it definitely does give me pause. Um, it's well, not, how does that affect fashion, the speed? Well, thing? it affects, I mean, in the sense, you know, if you think about it, you know, when you used to talk about fashion, we used to talk about the 60s and the 70s, and you could think about those eras and you conjure up an idea of bell bottoms and, you know, a whole era, and it, and it had, you know, it, it contained men's and women's, and it was about, you know, 
the hair and the makeup and the, your home and your car, it really had a complete identity to it. And now, you know, we literally talk about things and someone's like, oh, I got this last week, I'm over it. You know, and it's, it, there's this, you know, transitory kind of disposable nature of style and clothing. At the same time, there's an opportunity for everyone to find their people as well, which I think is amazing. So if you, you know, uh, you know want to suffer... <laughs> and be, you know, a, you know, you know, a hard juku girl. That's cool too. And I think that people can find their people, and that's something that I, I do find interesting. But this nature that there's no longevity to anything, and everything changes so quickly, it makes it. It's a little bit of a hamster in a habit trail feeling, and I think um, I, that can be, you know, difficult. I'm looking forward to things slowing down. I hope that, you know, as there was that big dot com boom at one point, and things sort of settled. I'm hoping that maybe things settle a little bit with. Um, with fashion because it's just too fast a lot of designers are stopping doing runway shows and they're not going to show four seasons it's too much and we didn't show that way but it's a lot and I think creativity is god it's king and I don't think that people necessarily consider that sometimes it's it's you know I mean everyone a lot of people will compare themselves to Apple particularly tech companies yet they spend no time talking about creativity whereas Apple's main focus was creativity and then the technology supported that you know everything was about making something beautiful and simple and then the technology was built to support it and I think unfortunately a lot of things these days it's the opposite and that is you know it's an interesting conversation it's a it, it gives me hives and <laughs> no it is weird to think about that people 50 years like will they look back when's the last decade they'll think of as a distinct decade that the looks 90s, a certain probably. way it'll probably be the 90s yeah. like after that, that it just all gets jumbled 90s one's so hot well jenna thank you so much thank for joining so us much. today thank you. this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Let's move on to our next topic. The Cosby trial. I feel so powerful. <laughs> um, the Cosby trial. One of the dozens of women who have accused Bill Cosby of sexual assault had her day in court. Andrea Costand. Is that how you call it? it's Constand. Constand. A former basketball player who met him in 2002. The trial for aggravated indecent assault ended in a mistrial, which means the jury couldn't decide. So, how horrified should we be with this outcome? Does it mean that victims of sexual assault can never get their day in court? And what happens next with the whole Cosby fiasco? So, Noreen, let's just start very simple. Why was she the one who went to court and nobody else did? Well, so, Andrea Constand originally filed charges in 2005, which meant that the statute of limitations had not expired for her. So many of the women who came forward against Cosby, you know, the incidents dated back to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. So um, the statute of limitations in Pennsylvania is 10 years. She had brought charges. They then settled. However, when a bunch of other women came forward in 2015, um, Cosby's lawyer issued like a blanket denial and a blanket statement that all of these women were making it up. So um, Constance's legal team interpreted that as him violating the terms of their deal, their settlement, so they could reopen it. And um, the uh, the district attorney in Pitts or 
not Pittsburgh, um, Philadelphia, Philadelphia, uh, reopened the charges just under the wire, like at the end of 2015. So it was almost over. And what went wrong in your opinion? Like, what do you think? What was, well, I shouldn't say in your opinion, what actually went wrong? Like what was, what was the problem with her case or what was the difficulty with her case? Well, so, um, there were some inconsistencies in her testimony that I think the um, the attorney really, Brian McMonagle, I believe is his name, um, uh, he really hit them hard, right? So she she gave two different dates for when the incident occurred, right? Which were three months apart. Right, which were three months apart. It wasn't like two days apart. Um, but really, I think the bigger... So, so TMZ has reported that um, there were just two jurors who were the holdouts. So 10 people on this um, jury believed him to be guilty, two people sort of forced the mistrial. Um, and so really many of the facts of the case no one disagreed on, right? Like they, like Cosby admitted in sealed testimony that was, he, so he did not take the stand in this trial, which was a somewhat surprising move. The, you know, the defense called one guy for, you know, six minutes. Six minutes, six minutes yeah. a police officer, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but sealed testimony from the 2005 uh, version of this was admitted and the jury could look at it. Um, and so, so what he admitted to, really, I think a lot of people would would call rape. Um, he, you know, he said that he had given her pills. He said they were Benadryl. However, the pills were a different color than the Benadryl that he had in his house. They were. Can I actually read yeah. from his testimony? Yeah. I, this is like the weirdest thing I've ever yeah. read in my life. No, it's really, really weird. Describing his sexual encounter with Constan, Cosby recalled, "quote." I don't hear her say anything, and I don't feel her say anything. I don't really know what that means. I don't know how you feel someone saying, saying something. But. And so I continue, and I go into the area that is somewhere between permission and rejection. Now, here's another poetic sentence. I am not stopped. Like, by God? Like, what, what is the <laughs> passive tense? Right, I by, am not stopped. By the woman who is... Who's incapacitated. Yeah, the woman, yeah. yeah. It's such a weird backwards mm-hmm. logic. Well, I mean, this is, this is what the crux of his psychology, right? Is, like, who has the power in this situation? Um, you know, there are, there are 62 women who have given a version of this story, and they have all is said that... 62? It's now up to 62 women. And it's, wow. it's not all this exact story. It's, it's you know things ranging from sexual assault to rape or the accusations, but it is a lot of women who have given this version of the story who are talking about, like, just, you know, that sort of... I don't know if you even call it a gray area, but whatever he's describing there is kind of what he wanted. That's what he looked for in a sexual... Yeah. It feels like a fetish. Yeah. It doesn't feel like avoidant. It feels like a a space he's actually... Seeking out. Seeking out and creating. That's what's weird about it. You know what I found interesting about this case, June, is the d- the defense. His 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 attorney um, did something interesting, which was to create essentially a feminist argument, mm-hmm. as I saw. Mm. His attorney created an argument that that had to do with um, her agency, that essentially she had agency, and we live in an era of degraded, pathetic, romantic relationships. Like, he was often talking about his own wife, and if my wife and I go into a place and we create this space, it was essentially like people today, including women, want these kinds of things that are not what we all consider, you know, romantic or ideal. He, he painted his client to be like a sad creep, 
well, with a particular perversion and, and a kind of, you know, penchant to cheat on his wife. And sort of, it, it's like, we're like, well, people want crazy things today. Like, that was his essential view. It was like a hookup culture kind of It was, argument. but it also, I mean, you're right that there was this odd element of essentially calling his own client to creep and sort of saying that he stepped out on his wife Danced. Danced, yeah. There's this strange language. And, and he kept talking about romance. And he, it, I was very confused by the write-up, but it seemed to be... I was confused only because I couldn't believe that he would do it, and I guess he did, where he was talking about like when he and his wife get together, they might have incense, they might have candles. Like, what has that got to do with this? Why? Like, as if... Okay, we might have blue pills, or we might have yeah, pink pills. Exactly. She might be incapacitated, and I might not it be It might stopped. be just between those two areas. But it was almost as if it was... I mean, that word romance that you focused on, it's what... This is not about romance, but... Right. It, well, it was a way of saying, okay, Bill Cosby's not the guy you thought he was on TV, right? Like, we can all agree he's not Cliff Huxtable anymore, but he's he's not a rapist. He's just a cheater. That was his essential yeah, thing. Yeah, and who are we to judge the crazy yeah. things that people do today and that passes romance? Like, that was essentially the defense. Well, and the other thing that was in the sealed testimony that was brought up in this trial that, that became unsealed in 2015 is that Cosby admitted under oath to having given quaaludes to women in order to get them to have sex with him which I don't know about you guys, but that sounds like rape to me. Um, and he, no, seriously. And, and, and the jury had that in there, you know, so she was given these pills and then she was incapacitated. And he also admitted to in previous cases having done that. So I, it was, you know, it was, it was, a. so I would say that I was personally disappointed in the result, but, but I think people are saying like, oh, the entire balance of, you know, American rape culture rests on this one trial. I don't, yeah. I don't know that I feel that way, right? Like, and there is this point, you know, that, that uh, you know, goes back to, you know, Blackstone, the, the great theorist of, of, you know, the great legal theorist or jurisprudence, you know, that better that one, better that 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man be convicted. I mean, that is the theory behind, you know, jury trials. Like, yeah, you know, they're not perfect, but hey. But 62, geez. Like, you do want to feel like this one woman is the only one who has a chance. I mean, why is there a statute of limitations? I'm not a lawyer. I'm sure there are lawyers here in the crowd who could answer this question for me, but why is there a statute of limitations on a crime like this? Well, Um, one wonderful thing to come out of this is that um, a number of the women who came forward to accuse him then banded together and worked to get a bill passed in California, which was passed about six months ago, um, to get rid of the statute of limitations on rape and sexual assault in California. Yeah, and it was signed into law. It became law on January 1st, and it's not retroactive, but I think it's something they're really proud of. And, um, you know, they actually worked with a woman who had accused um, Bill O'Reilly of sexual harassment. So it's this weird sisterhood of women um, allegedly harassed by powerful men. Well, here's the thing that you lawyers can explain to me later, because there's like this sort of activist side and the journalist side worrying is like, you know, the, the stories of what happens in these sexual assault cases are, are, are similar, like the things that people do and don't do, the kind of social mores that they follow, you know, despite my, maybe having been assaulted. And we spoke about this in an earlier show. They're so similar yeah. to sort of what James Comey said about how he treated Trump. You know, why did you keep calling him if, if he was right. bothering you? Why were you still, you know, why, why, why were you still in the same room with him? Like, it's, it's very much 
questions that don't take into account kind of normal human social interactions, power dynamics, mm -hmm. things, things between people in a hierarchy. Um, so, so I do wonder, like, is it a thing where, where the kind of legal system has to catch up? Or are the complications of those social, they're just like, you really just have to have some physical evidence or you can't get around those? I don't know, because it sure seems to, when I look at the evidence or, what, or the version of it that I've seen, I cannot picture how someone would not be able to make a conviction. I wasn't on the jury, but it, there are so many, I mean, and this is not, this isn't certainly by no means the only jury recently where you think, when I look at that evidence, I don't for a minute, wouldn't for a second have any problem convicting. And yet somehow people seem to see things just in a completely different way from the way I see them. And I don't know, and I certainly don't think that's anything specific to me, and I don't know if that's about bubbles or about separate experiences in this world, but there's more and more these days where I am just, I can't figure out how people Do you have a theory, convict. Noreen? Because the, the jury instruction that they kept asking for was, what does beyond a reasonable doubt mean? Which suggests to me, I don't know what happened, we don't know. Maybe there were just two holdouts and everybody else thought he was guilty and that's the end of the story. But it does seem like they must have been creating in their minds a scenario by which this could have been a deal between the two of them. Yeah. And do you know that the criminal justice system is not always just, to say the least? So, you know, maybe there are people who simply would not want to make a conviction of anyone. And if you get one of those people on your jury... You know, it's it's a it's the system we have, and I'm sure there are many times when uh, when I would applaud it. In this case, I'm just very puzzled by it. Well, and race is a huge factor in this case, right? Like Bill Cosby was. Um, I mean, you can't you can't overstate the importance that he had to the black community, and and frankly, to the white to white people's understanding of the black community. Like he's a very complicated figure in the black community. Like on the one hand, he's a hero. On the other hand, he you know. Like, pull yells up your pants. At, yeah, yells at people for not pulling up their pants. Well, that's right? what did him in in the end. Like his pull up your pants business. Right. What 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 started this or what restarted this? Right. Because yeah. Hannibal yeah. Burris was angry at him for you know saying like, oh, don't swear, you're going to make black people look bad. When in fact, you know, you're raping like, women is what he said. You have to say well, you have to say allegedly, Hannah. I'm trying to be very careful. No, I'm quoting. <laughs> I'm quoting a comedian. I'm not saying you're raping women. I'm, I'm like trying to be so careful here. I was quoting the comedian. I, yeah, yeah. For the record, she was counselor. For, I, I can do it 62 times if you want me to say the allegedly 62 times. Oh, boy. So, what, so how do we think about Bill Cosby? Like as a TV person, do we just like discount that whole era, which turned out to be like, yes? You guys say yes? Like, do you just forget about that? I mean, it's Wesley so Morris had an interesting piece in the New York Times, uh, I guess, this last weekend or Monday, recently, since the mistrial, where he talked about, you know, the impact of the Cosby show, but then he talked about another show that Cosby had been in, or a movie, I guess. Which I did not know. No, and I certainly... I had totally forgotten about I that. I certainly did not. And this, you know, it, yes, he Can was playing... Can you say what the show was? Like he was? I don't remember the name, to be honest, but he, he was playing a part in which he actually, you know, used drugs to uh, get women to sleep with him, and he charmed women, and he seduced women, and, you know, it was a role, but so was Cosby. So was Cliff Huxtable, rather, so was Cliff Huxtable was a role. And it, that was a useful reminder that, yeah, that show clearly was amazingly important, meant a lot to a lot of people, but it was a show. 
it was a role and we mustn't lose sight of that and but like okay june thomas um you know let's say like you know 20 years from now you decide you're done with journalism we're going to give you a job <laughs> at the journalism school or no we're going to give you a job teaching television all right i'm ready do you forget about what you think about bill cosby right. the man do right. you teach the show as like an important moment does the show get forgotten does do you teach the show as an important moment in american tv history like what happens to that moment i think you do teach it but i don't think it should be on the air right now obviously it's important it hasn't gone away it's it's significance in its time is still the same well and i think it means something different to you know the black community like i'm i'm in some ways like talking to those women was very different for me than it would have been if i were black you know i didn't have that relationship to that show and um dave chappelle who's like the world's greatest comedian if you ask me in his latest um netflix specials he has this bit that like he really like kind of walks up to the edge on making bill cosby jokes you know and he's like but he did so many good things for the black community and oh my god he does it so much funny like just go watch it i can't even (laughs) begin to like do that bit but um but but you know dave chappelle and uh jared carmichael also grappled with it a little bit on um, the carmichael show i think it like it's a hard thing for people who really grew up with that and particularly, you know, black comedians. That's, mm-hmm. that's their guy or maybe that, you know, one of their guys. So, Noreen, here's the last thing. Do you think, how do these women, besides that law, their civil lawsuits, like is there any way in which the particular women have any hope of getting justice, the particular women? Yeah, I mean, there, there are a bunch of civil lawsuits that are sort of going on. I mean, I think a lot of them have taken meaning from activism, like we just talked about. Um, I do think there was a group of six of them that went to the trial, and they were, they were like, looking at this as kind of a stand-in for them. I think that was what was so heartbreaking for them. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, Although I, he says he's going to retry the case. Right, so, so, and they said, you know, in 120 days when they're allowed to retry it, they're going to go back. Um, you know, I think they, they would like the, the criminal justice system to recognize in some ways, but I do also think the fact that they seem to be believed now and that they can talk about it and they can unburden it, I think it feels like some kind of a victory to them still, even despite this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was thinking about this a lot, right? Like, do, do, do we need the courts to recognize something in order society? for it to be true? Right. Yes. I think so. You do think so? I think so, yeah. I do think so. I mean, you can't force... First of all, like, the district attorney turning this into a political platform seems to me a mistake. Like, I'm going to be the guy who brings these women to justice. If I were on a jury, I'd be, like, extra vigilant if Mm. I knew that this was somebody's Mm. political platform. So I'm not sure, like, at that level it should be recognized. But, yeah, I do think that, yeah. It's such... I mean, it's the best system we have, but it's so imperfect, right? Like, there's so many cases where someone guilty... You know, I, I just think you can't. You can't judge it that way. Yeah, I wish he, I just wish there were 62 tries. It's like yeah. the statute of limitations yeah. thing I can't yeah. get over. Like, that there's only one try. Seems so annoying. All right, enough for Cosby. Don't you think we've given him enough of our time? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, so our third topic. Will we ever have a woman president? Not yet, guys. <laughs> there was no call this to action in any way. In some ways, it feels like the natural next step. As Michelle Goldberg wrote in A Slave Story, make Hillary Clinton the Barry Goldwater of feminism. No, she didn't make it herself, but she ushered in an era of female candidates. That's the optimistic positive view. Or is male anxiety just too overpowering to ever get there? Sorry, guys, but it's been studied. We're actually going to talk about it. So... Let's go through some of the names, and I think as we talk about each of the names, you will see the problem here is tropes. Like, what people study is how, what a thin line women have to walk on, because every particular woman that, whose name you mentioned brings up a particular trope or problem. Mm-hmm. So we can mm-hmm. start with Elizabeth Warren. And this is all for 2020, right? When we say yeah, ever, yeah, yeah. we're, we're like about imagining the world yeah. ends. And we're imagining a different or, world, yeah. yeah. So like, let's just say we live in a fantasy world, we introduce certain women, let's mm-hmm. see what they bring up. So the first is Elizabeth Warren. Okay. On the one hand, she persisted. <laughs> but on the other hand, she persisted. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's what it always comes down to. So Elizabeth Warren has the plus that she's like the populist, right? So she appeals to many of the Trump voters. That's really good. But then, then what happens? She's like, what happens to well, her? Well, t- see, again, I'm sorry. I always feel like I'm living in another planet, but... There's this thing that she's supposedly unlikable, but I don't get why. She's school marmish. She's school marmish. She'll lecture you, allegedly. You don't want to be like schooled no, and lectured you to by <laughs> only for women. You don't want to be lectured to by a wonkish older woman. She lied about totally having do. Native American roots, allegedly. Allegedly. Would you rather have a beer with Elizabeth Warren or Scott Brown? Allegedly. <laughs> that is not a hard decision for me. No, I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you personally. It's just like what right. with each I of these women no. arises a trope yeah. which, which apparently triggers. This is like a chemical reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's male like anxiety. Harvard, Harvard law professor knows more than you do. But she's you also the daughter of a janitor. Like that, that's, the, that's the great she's American also a what? dream. The daughter of a janitor. She, you know, her, the story of how she June's went... not playing the game. June's not playing with us at all. June's like earnestly, like no. she's the daughter of a janitor. No. I won't play along with this game, no. But, like, you know why you shouldn't play along with this game? I was going to get to this later, but apparently raising the tropes, mm. like the school marmishness, the particular kind of anti-feminist tropes about each of these women, reinforces the tropes. It doesn't diminish the tropes. Right. So it's like the more we actually identify, block them out, and talk about them, the more real they become. So we're doing a disservice to feminism right here. But it's I, not that many people. So. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. Okay. Can we do another one? Yeah. Noreen, I, I know the play? next one. I know the next one. <laughs> Kirsten Gillibrand. She is Tracy Flick. Yes. <laughs> I know Good. this one. <laughs> now explain a little bit. What's the problem? So Tracy Flick, of course, from the uh, movie Election, played by Reese Witherspoon. Um, and apparently, uh, allegedly, uh, as we sometimes say. Sorry for introducing that word. <laughs> So I guess this trope is the the girl who must do everything perfectly. Yes. 
Yeah, that's what Scott Brown and I were saying over beers the other night. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's cute, she's nice, she's really smart, blonde, but... You know. Blonde, but I mean... She's the woman who does everything more perfectly than, than right. you. Yeah, right. She's and wants it too bad. But again, I don't see it. I think people see her as a Hillary type, a Hillary Clinton type, right? That, that whatever the reaction was that, was that, you know, Hillary triggered in some percentage of the population, they see a... <laughs> All right. <laughs> they see um, a similar kind of potentially allegedly negative reaction. <laughs> Which is that, well, this one is really interesting because this one is the problem with her. This one truly would never be a problem with a man is that she has wanted it for a long time, like that she has desire in her and ambition in her to be the president. So it's the mere wanting to be president which disqualifies her from being president. But this, That's the trope in that uh, one. No, and I, I get we're playing a game. I get it. But, just to be clear, I do get it. But again, like, everything, like, Rebecca Tracy did a fantastic profile of Kirsten Gillibrand, and it is, like, I don't know much about her, but I was ready to, like, go marching for her after I read this. I mean, her, her, her empathy, and I mean, admittedly, her her willingness to keep saying how important empathy is to her. But, you know, Rebecca Trista described her, you know, crying when she talked about some things. She is willing to, to talk about changing her opinion, which for some reason seems to be something that politicians are reluctant to do. I mean, I, this idea that somebody is too perfect is so crazy. It's crazy, right? I know. I've thought that all my life. People are <laughs> too perfect. I'm like, that's crazy. I'm just me. <laughs> All right, Kamala Harris is the next one. Now, she's really perfect, right? She's like Amen. daughter of immigrants, Jamaican and Indian. What's the problem there? Who wants to play the game? So she's Obama. Daughter of, of immigrants. No, no, no. <laughs> well, no, because she could be Obama. The problem there is like, why is she not Obama? Like you take, you know, two people are similar. They've got this like the same similar background. They're both very charismatic. They're both great speakers. They're both lawyers. You know, they've got a certain kind of experience. The problem is, who gets to rock it? Right, a man, right? So men, men are judged oh, on their potential, <laughs> and women are judged on their accomplishments, right? So she's considered too young. She's skipping in line. She also, I think, has this, you know, she's a prosecutor, and if you yeah. watched her in the Comey hearings and, and the um, Sessions hearings in particular, she had a real prosecutorial tone to her, and I think that you know, that activates something when you see, for, for a certain percentage of the population, when you see a woman who's, like, being super aggressive, not backing down, kind of like dog with a bone, they don't, people don't like to see it's that in a certain, The senators didn't like it, did they? Yeah, they did not. You know, we talked about this in our Slate Plus last week, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I subsequently watched the video many, many times to prepare for this segment. It is really sexy. I mean, it feels wrong when you watch it many, many times that she's the only person who gets interrupted in the Comey hearings, that they do this whole procedural bit on her and they stop the whole hearings. There's just, it's like you do feel like something is getting triggered in there that, that is irritating people mm -hmm. in a, in a mm -hmm. particular, there's not a lot of admiration in that moment. Okay, so let's talk about the study that supposedly explains why all these tropes get triggered. I thought it was very interesting. So these two Farley Dickinson University professors, what they did was, it's not a huge study, 700 registered voters in New Jersey, they were asking them uh, if they preferred Trump or Hillary, right? Um, but what they did was, with half the respondents, 
They were just reminded casually that in a growing number of households, women earn more money than men. That was just like a, like a cute reminder they put in the beginning of the story, right? <laughs> And I think they, they said, did like, it by saying, "Have you heard about this book, The End of Men?" Yeah, it's just in like it. that. It's like they just—in fact, they didn't. They just put my book on the on the table. <laughs> trigger, like trigger, they forgot trigger. to remove it. Oh, sorry, we forgot to take this out of the room. So they put that there. And so the point of that—the point of asking that question was to get people to think about declining male power. So anybody remember the results of the study? What do you guys think? So men who had been queried about earning power were eight percentage points less likely to support Clinton and 16 points more likely to support Trump, a swing of 24 points. Now, when they ran the same survey for Bernie Sanders versus Trump, it was unaffected by this question. You sound like a real Elizabeth Warren here with your numbers, (laughs) like, prepared. If I were Elizabeth Warren, I'd be standing up (laughs) and I'd be saying it much less reedy than I'm doing it. (laughs) It would be much more memorized. That's a really interesting study. So what do you take from that? Clearly, this is a big issue right now. It seems to have um, this kind of anxiety, which in many ways, not the blaming of women, but the anxiety I understand very well. But because it also just seems so irrational, I'm not sure what the, how to address it. And that, that powerlessness really drives me bonkers. Right. Well, isn't all anxiety kind of irrational? Yeah, right? I guess. I mean, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know what a subject is we've never discussed is well, the criticism of Nancy Pelosi and whether or not it's sexist. Mm-hmm. I actually don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. We should do it as a segment. We should do it as a segment. Yeah. Do you guys think it is? Anybody know about this? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I don't know about it. All right. So if you were, if you were like a Democratic power broker, I'm not saying you guys aren't, but um, you're, <laughs> you're in the smoky room. Who are you trying to get the party to coalesce behind? Is it a white man? Is it a white woman? Is it a black woman? Or is it a black man? Or some other option? Well, <laughs> that hard to... <laughs> you know, I don't see gender. No. Um, uh, I mean, for, like, it would be great if there was this awesome, charismatic, actual person instead of, like, a... but. It does seem like a person of color would be more effective for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and my personal preference would be for a woman, but... Yeah, I think I, if I were a Democratic power broker, I would try to find an, a, a black man for the people to coalesce around. I think that would, you know, because women make up, what is it, like 59, 60% of the Democratic Party. So women are going to come out anyway, even if you don't run a woman, right? Um, white women are not. Black women are going to come out anyway, right? But it's you need to get black men to come out, and they, they might identify more with a black man. What are you, you're laughing I'm at like me. I'm horrified by this conversation. <laughs> this is the problem, though. Democrats are not good at politics. They're, like, horrified by this conversation. Republicans would not blink. This is like a 1983 conversation where we like, you should do gerrymandering. That should be your I'm ready. Job. That's like, already been done. The <laughs> They've taken care of that. that. I mean, that, really, I think it's is, a military Democrat. That's, I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman. But it's a what someone kind of Democrat? A military Democrat. There are like a lot of Democrats disillusioned with wars who have come out of the military who have either been injured or... So Tammy Duckworth? Moulton, Duckworth. I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman, but it's like a person. It's a Democrat who's come out of military culture. That's so not a populist. Up. No, 
not a populist. Yeah, not necessarily a populist. A Democrat is clean. If you had a woman who came out of the military, that would be perfect. Tammy Duckworth. Tammy Duckworth, yeah. Except, well. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Tammy Duckworth. <laughs> what Tammy trope Duckworth does she fit? All right, I think uh, we're done with the tropes. We're done. Yeah, okay. Go tropes, go. Never come back. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Before we open up for questions, let's do our recommendations. Yes. Yes. June, what do you have for us today? I must begin my recommendation with a little bit of a sort of shame for only just getting to it. But I was having a conversation with Verilyn the other day, and she mentioned Dear White People, and I was like, nodded as if I'd watched it. And afterward, I was like, wait, did I watch it? <laughs> And so the movie or the TV show? The TV series, yeah. the Netflix series. And I realized I hadn't watched it and I just started watching it and I'm I've been, been inhaling it and it is so good. And I, I it's true that I love a show that gives us the backstory to characters. I mean that's a big thing right now. Obviously it's long been a thing in Orange is the New Black, but it was also big in The Handmaid's Tale. And I really enjoy that particular style of storytelling and it's just it's a Great story. And I do like a campus uh, piece, too. So, Dear White People on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I always go second. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, my other podcast is Invisibilia. And Woo! we just... Thank you. Uh, we just put out our last episode for this season. Um, and so, I'm sorry, there's only one thing on my mind. I like to be honest in my recommendations and, and really say the thing that's given me the most pleasure, the thing I think about the most pleasurably. And here's my recommendation. You should all play hooky one day next week, <laughs> because that's what I'm going to do. And I, I guess that's not something you should announce publicly, since... <laughs> You know, many people. It's okay because the podcast will come out after you've played. Oh, hooky. that's right. Oh, yes. Thank you, June. <laughs> this is going to come out a week after, but I just think that you should all play hooky one day next week. That's my recommendation. Wow, that's what I got. I'm going to do it Monday and possibly Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but don't tell anybody that I work for. Noreen. Um, mine is a song that you can play when you're playing hooky. Um, okay. I really like Carly Rae Jepsen, which may or may not be embarrassing. All right, okay. Do you listen to the Emotion? That- yeah, that's a great album. Underrated. Oof. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. My daughter listens to it. And she's like, you got to listen to it on your bike. It's like the... <laughs> All right, so Hannah won't like this song, but um, Carly Rae Jepsen's you know, summer single is called Cut to the Feeling. And I can't... Yeah, people are into it, Hannah. I wish we could play it Cool now, people like in Brooklyn who probably watch Girls, okay? Right. They're into it. Um, it's, it's like... It's not bubblegum pop. It's a little better than bubblegum pop. But it's, it's... No, it's really, I think, well-crafted pop, if I'm going to be like one of those music I, I'm people. I'm totally pro-pop. I just, okay. I can't really describe it, because it's a feeling. Can you, you just sing it? <laughs> 
cannot sing it. <laughs> yeah. You should all go to Spotify or whatever your streaming or download service of choice is and put it on. It's a good, I like to listen to it when I'm leaving my house in the morning and it's like now it's summer, it's sunny, it's really nice. It just kind of gets me rubbed up. But I'm sure there are, you know, other circumstances like when you're not going to work, when you might be really exactly. into it. when you're playing hooky. Good, I will. Playing hooky. Is that how you say it? Hooky? Do you really? <laughs> how else would I say it? <laughs> Do you say like, like nuki too? Is it, is it an American term, hooky, or is it British? Uh, I think it's American. I've been here too long, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, that's our show. You've been a fabulous audience. Thanks to our marvelous producer, Verilyn Williams. And for this live show, thanks to Kirsten Holtz, to Evan Viola, and to James Gambrell for helping us set up this show. Our intern is Daniel Schrader. If you want more information about the show, go to our show page, slate.com slash XX. For June and Noreen, I'm Hannah Rosen, and we'll talk to you again in two weeks. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.